Good morning, church. Good morning. Happy Resurrection Day, everybody. Same to you. It's great to see everybody. It's great. Before you get too comfortable, I'm going to ask everybody just to stand with us one more time. And if you have your Bible with you, I'd like to read some scriptures together. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I honor the Lord by reading his word together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We read from verse 3 down to verse 6. 3 through 6. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some are fallen asleep. Now jump down to verse 54. We'll read 54 through 57. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We lift you up. We thank you and we pray for your presence here this morning. We pray that you speak to our hearts. Minister to us, Lord God, as we honor you this morning and thank you for the gift of grace and mercy and love that you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 You may be seated. Thank you. Those first verses that we read together historically are known as one of the earliest creeds or summaries of Christian doctrine. Did you know that that was written down in about 55 A.D., approximately 25 years after Christ's death? Now, that might sound like a long time, 25 years after Christ's death, but in in historical preservation, that's really an incredibly small amount of time. But even better than that, the wording itself is believed to have been composed in about 35 A.D., only two years after Christ's death. So if it wasn't written down, how did the people actually preserve it? The culture of first century Palestine is known what was known as an oral culture. They learned by hearing. Someone would speak and they would hear. You see, not many, very many people at that time could actually read in comparison to today's standards. And even if they could read, books were quite expensive, so there weren't that many around. So the main way that the majority of people in the first century Israel learned was by listening and by memorization. Memorization. It's difficult for us in our culture to relate to memorizing or remembering a lot of things. Most of us probably can't even remember what we had for breakfast, right? But they taught in a way that we didn't necessarily understand. They were taught in such a way that made it possible to remember. Let me give you an example. If I said something to you like, Silent night, holy night, what comes to your mind? All is calm, all is bright, right? You know the next words, right? If I say to you, row, row, row your boat, 
gently down the stream, right? It just comes to you. You just know it. You, you probably maybe haven't even heard that song in the last 30 years, but immediately your brain goes because you memorized it. And you see, that's sort of one of the ways that they would learn in first century Israel. They would make sense of things. They would use rhyme and rhythm and melody to make their subject more memorable and more understanding for them. In the Jewish synagogue schools, uh, students were required to learn orally huge amounts of legal and moral teaching. There were certain rabbis, and this is incredible, there were certain rabbis that could actually memorize the entire Old Testament. Wow. Wow. What would you have for breakfast? Yeah. <laughs> Early Christians probably didn't have such a formal structure as the synagogue schools did, but Christians were devoted to preserving and to proclaiming everything they could of the stories and the teachings they heard about their leader, Jesus. And they continually repeated these traditions. They celebrated, they discussed, they obeyed, and they taught them. So oral tradition was the bridge between the original eyewitnesses and the written New Testament that we have. The information contained in our Gospels have not been lost or perverted. It's consistent. It's Him. Resurrection Day. What is, it, what is it exactly that we are proclaiming today? Why are we here? That Christ is resurrected from the dead, right? Someone might ask you, well, you know, just who is Christ? Well, Christ is God. Or better yet, Christ is the evidence of God. Christ is the physical evidence of a God who can't be seen or felt or smelled. He is a physical God come to us so that we could see Him. He's our Savior. Savior? What is it that we need saving from, you might ask? What would the consequences have been if He hadn't come at all? How many times, how often have we told people that they need to be saved or born again, right? But what exactly does that mean to them? And why would somebody even want it? Well, that word Savior or salvation implies the very need to be rescued from something. But what is it that we need saving from? The scriptures call it sin. Simply stated, sin causes us to be separated from God. And that separation occurs not only here and now, but throughout eternity as well. So if separation is the problem, then what's the answer? Once again, we go to the Scriptures. They, con- they conclude that Jesus is the only answer to the sin problem. We're told that Jesus is God. Come to the earth in the flesh. And He alone paid for our separation by being killed by crucifixion and rising from the dead three days later. He did it for us. He paid the price. So today we look at the big picture. The purchase of eternity, not just the here and now. It's much more important than just the here and now. I once saw an illustration that uh, Francis Chan did. You may, you may have seen this, but uh, I'm going to do it for you as well. This, this rope or this string represents a timeline of eternity. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And this little green part up here is our time here on earth. Wow. Wow. And most of us spend so much time 
trying to better ourselves and getting a better job so that we can do a little better in that area right there. <laughs> we'll save up our money, save up our money, so at the end of this time here, we'll have a little bit at retirement. <laughs> and a lot of times we forget all about eternity, eternity, eternity. Today, we're talking about eternity. The big picture. Now, who was this sacrifice for? Sometimes people wonder, you know, okay, maybe God came, but who did he do this for? Some people in the, in the, uh, in the early church, they thought maybe it was just for, for Abraham or for the, the early Jews. But let's read, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Romans chapter 4. Let's read from uh, verse 23. Romans chapter 4, verse 23. Now the context of this, it talks a little bit about Abraham's faith and how Abraham was justified by what he believed. Remember, he, he and his wife couldn't have any children, but he believed God. He believed the promise that God told him that he'd be able to have children. So in Romans chapter 4, we'll start in verse 23. It says this, Now it was not written for his sake alone, meaning Abraham, that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. If we keep going, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The context of talking about Abraham being justified by faith, it was credited to to him as righteousness, his belief. But there's a hope here that's revealed. It was not just for Abraham alone. Who was it for? If we look in verse 24 again, who was it for? It was also for them who believe in him who raised Christ. And it was God the Father. For we who believe in him who raised Christ. So it was for us as well. So we celebrate Christ's resurrection today, but we need to also remember the Father who did the raising through the power of his Holy Spirit. As Abraham believed in him who gave life to the dead, His body and his wife's body were considered dead. They were old. They couldn't reproduce. He believed in him who gave life to the dead. So today do we believe in him who gave life to the dead, meaning Christ, and then meaning us as well. Look at verse 25 again. It says, He who was delivered for our offenses and was raised up for our justification. So we see two parts there. We see death for our sin, and we see resurrection for our justification. Notice for whose sins and for whose justification? For ours. Not for his, but for ours. The guilt of sin is thereby canceled. Although people deserve to be declared guilty, God now declares them righteous. Verse 1 there in chapter 5 tells us, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that verse. We have peace with God. How many times do we need to remember that? That's incredibly important. 
You know, what would be the marks of a person not at peace with God? You know, their conscience would be in torment all the time. You know, oh God, did I offend you? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know? But we have peace with God. Yes, you forgave me. And I thank you for that. And I appreciate that gift that you've given me. I don't have that extreme guilt. Yes, I repent when I do sin, and I'm sorry for when I sin, but I know that you forgive me. I've got that grace. We have the ability to rest in Him. People that have no peace, it would just go downhill from there, and eventually would lead to a total disregard for God and for the things that God desires. But we can have peace. And such peace has been revealed to us and received by faith. We have to depend that what this scripture says is true. And there our faith comes in. God wouldn't lie to us. We've got to depend on what he said. It's by faith in Christ that we now stand in the grace of God the Father. And we can even boast in that. We can even have confidence in that, he implies. Confidence in that. Hmm. Of course, another part of this amazing sacrifice that we celebrate today is our extreme unworthiness to receive it. <clears throat> but even before our hardened hearts had been melted, God's plan was in motion already. God's plan was in motion already. When we were trapped and had no way out, Christ came and he died for us. You're still in Romans chapter 5. Jump down to verse 8. And let's read from there. Verse 8. Romans 5, verse 8. But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall, have, have, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life? And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received atonement. Jesus did it for us anyway, while we were still yet sinners. God initiated the process. Humans hadn't changed. Humans still haven't changed, unfortunately. But that's the beauty of what we celebrate today, isn't it? We've been justified by His blood, saved from the wrath of God or the separation of God. Justified means that although people deserved and, and they were declared guilty, now God declares them to be righteous. And that word saved there means kept safe or delivered, delivered from wrath or delivered from that separation. Read with me again verse 10. It says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. There's a few important words here we need to understand and highlight. The first one is enemies. That's our position before we were reconciled to God. We were enemies of God. Now just let that weigh on you for a second. Who would want to be the enemy of God. But that's what the unsaved person is called. This really highlights our need to evangelize or to spread our faith to those around us because we don't want them to suffer the terrible fate of being separated from God as one of His enemies. We care about them. 
we care about them enough to want to share what it is that we have. The other word is justified or reconciled. The word reconciled, while we were still unworthy, it means to exchange something like coins. Okay, I give you certain coins, you give me different coins. It exchanges. What's he exchanging here? Death will replace life. Sin will replace forgiveness. We sang the song before, right? He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. The exchange that took place. Saved. Kept safe from his wrath or the punishment, or the separation from God of the unsaved person. By his life or the facts of what was going on around it. And in this we can be sure. We can almost boast and have confidence in that. So now we realize the value of the gift that we've been given. But we've not only been given a gift, but we've been given a responsibility as well. Our approach to that responsibility is very important. It must be done in humility. I said before that we have something that we need to share with people, but the way that we do it is very important. There are those who almost do it with a vengeance, right? People will come at you with a vengeance trying to stuff your, their faith right down your, someone else's throat. You can't do that. It's almost violent. They can't do that. This brings to mind a quote from Professor John Lennox of Oxford University in England, and he said this, when he was referring to when, remember when the disciples were with Jesus in the garden and the mob came to take Jesus, and Peter went and he cut off the ear of one of the men trying to take Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, like Peter, when we use violence to represent Christianity, we cut the ears off our victim in more ways than one. Like Peter, when we use violence to represent Christianity, we cut the ears off our victim in more ways than one. They won't hear us anymore. They won't hear us anymore. We will lose their audience. We will lose their attention. We must be careful how we present the gospel. We have a responsibility, a gift and a responsibility to care for his word. Let's go to another scripture. Let's go to 2 Corinthians this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16. 16, 1, 6. Wherefore, hereafter, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we had known Christ after the flesh, yet hereafter know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, 
that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. Paul is telling the Corinthians here that they used to be very earthly or fleshly minded. Only thinking about things in earthly terms. They used to think about Christ in that way. Only from a human perspective. Christ died. So from a human perspective, dead is dead. That's it. It stops there. But now he's saying things have changed. We no longer look at it that way from a worldly point of view, but now from a heavenly point of view. Like that eternity that I was talking about before. From an eternal point of view, we view things differently now. In Him, all things are new. All things are restored unto God. That separation, if we believe it, that separation is now gone and we have a a oneness with God. In verse 18, he reads, he says this, And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He's reconciled us to himself. And he gave us this ministry. We see here that we receive reconciliation, but now we have this privilege, but also the obligation of being Christ's ambassadors. Privilege. Big privilege that we've gotten. But a big responsibility as well. If you've got something great, you don't want to keep it to yourself, do you? That's why we're here today. That's why we're here to celebrate Christ's resurrection. If I knew the cure to cancer, I would be a horrible person not to share it with everybody, right? But I do know the cure for separation from God. So it's up to me and it's up to you to spread that cure. Spread that answer to people that are separated for eternity, forever and ever. So we've got a privilege, and we've got an obligation. And in verse 19, he says, namely that Christ was reconciled in the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's our message. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. And then in verse 20, he says, now we are like ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech or say it to you by us. Be reconciled to God. Do it. Do it. It's like God speaking through me. Do it. Be reconciled unto Him. You'd be a fool if you didn't do it. The message of reconciliation is known to others only from the ambassadors. If no one preaches, how are they going to hear And then in verse 20, like that song said before, he became sin or sin offering for us to trade or to exchange sin for righteousness. He became the sin, we became righteous. He paid for our death and separation from God. He was exchanged. What a deal we got. What a deal we got. Christ was first and then we follow in his footsteps. Think about this. Christ's resurrection was not just simply a coming back from the dead. Okay, what do you mean by that? Christ's resurrection was not just simply a coming back from the dead. If it were, he would still have been subject to aging and weakness. Remember he raised up that boy? Remember the story? He raised up a boy from the dead. Well, you know what? That boy eventually, eventually got old and died. 
You remember Lazarus? He raised up Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus eventually got old and he died. This was different. Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but got a resurrection body. He was considered the first fruits of those who had died, first fruits of those who had been resurrected and come to a different kind, a new physical body. A physical body with different proportions, with different properties. It could do different things. It didn't get old and die. Why is that important to us? Well, let's go back to 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. First Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept or died. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all can be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God even to the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Let's stop there. He's using here an agricultural metaphor of the first fruits, that we will be like unto Christ. Christ was first, came with his resurrection body. We will be like that when he comes again. Jesus provided a new life for us, just like his. In another scripture, Peter said this, he said, We, as resurrected people, will live forever in the new heavens, in the new earth, which, in which righteousness dwells. He also said this, he said, We have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. In another place, Paul said this, he said, That the resurrected body is raised imperishable, in glory, in power, a spiritual body, free from the bondage of decay. It's a different type of body. It's a different type of body. We see God had a plan here in verse 21, and He did this the legal way. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. God did it the legal way. God did it the right way. Death came through man. New life, resurrected life, comes through the man Christ, Jesus. Verse 23, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. 23, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. We see the order of what's going to happen at Christ's second coming. We are to encourage ourselves with these words. It is the hope that we have. It is the hope that we all have. At the second coming of Christ, we will come with these resurrected bodies on a new heaven, on a new earth. We're not going to be subjected to sickness, to aging, to aches and pains. It'll be a different thing. Encourage yourselves 
with these words. And then in verse 24, he gives us another detail or a picture of the second coming where he says that Christ will defeat any opposing authority or power against him or his people. Wow. What a gift we've been given. What a gift we've been given. And we've been made a part of this body of Christ. At this point, we're going to have communion. We're going to share the body and the blood of Christ. prepare our hearts for communion as we reverence ourselves before him, receive of him and honor him in this day. Scripture says that for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do to show the Lord's death until he come. We're going to examine ourselves, examine our hearts, and then receive him as we reverence him as we take part of this sacrament. Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Jack, would you lead us in prayer for the uh, communion bread? Father, we take this bread in remembrance of your precious son Jesus' body that was beaten, torn, and Died for our, died for our sins, and he took the iniquity on himself, Lord God. That as he was beaten, Lord, we were set free. So we thank you that we are now the righteousness of God in Christ, and made new of our sins and sicknesses. Went to the cross with Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Pastor Linda, would you pray over the juice, please? We do remember, Lord God, that you died for us, Lord God, and that you are alive in us, Lord God, and that we will forgive one another also, Lord God, just as you 
forgave us when you hung on that cross. And thank you, Lord, that we do have you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake together. We see here we have quite a bit of things to think about, things to appreciate today. We learned about, you know, who is this sacrifice for? We learned that it's not just for Abraham, but it's for us. It's for those who believe in Christ. It's for those who love the Lord. Great is His love for us. Great is His forgiveness for us. Great is His reconciliation towards us. Now we're to teach that. We've been given not only a great gift, but a great responsibility. We're to take that and we're to give it out to those around us. And we see that Christ was first, the first fruit, but we are to follow Him. Down the line, at His second coming, whenever that is going to be, we will be able to rise with Him with a new resurrected body in a different way. At the beginning I said that sin causes separation from God. So if sin is the problem, then what is the answer? And once again, we go to the Scriptures and we conclude that Jesus is the only answer to the sin problem. We're told that Jesus is God come to earth in the flesh. That it is He alone who paid for our separation by being killed by crucifixion, rising from the dead three days later. He paid the price for us. He died for us. All that's left for us to do is to get on board with it. Find out about this sacrifice and all the good reasons to believe in it. Tell God that you're convinced that He is the one. He's the one to help you overcome sin. He's the one, the means by which we are saved. And then a change takes place in our heart. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and we're going to pray together out loud. Follow me this prayer. We're going to ask the Lord to come into our hearts to take our sin and to forgive us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. He died for my sins, and I thank you for that. I accept this sacrifice. Forgive me. Help me to live for you as I honor you today. And every day. And every day. Amen. Amen. Let me close with the words of Professor Wayne Grudem of Phoenix Seminary. Excuse me. He said, By raising Christ from the dead, God the Father was in effect saying that he approved of Christ's work of suffering and dying for our sins.
that his work was completed, that Christ no longer had any need to remain dead. There was no penalty left to pay for sin, no more wrath of God to bear, no guilt remained. Truly, it is finished. Amen? Amen. We wish everybody a great Resurrection Day. We thank you so much for being here. We'll see you again next time.